the New Testament. And it certainly was cold this morning. My car didn't want to start. It just kind of growled at me for a little bit before it turned over. And uh, I, uh, But it could be worse, amen? My father-in-law sent me a picture this morning about 6.30, and they had eight inches of snow. <laughs> it was 70 degrees there last Sunday, and they had eight inches of snow today. And he was asking for permission to borrow my snowblower. And uh, I said, you're welcome to it. I just don't know how I'm going to get it down there to you. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so I'll take, the, I'll take the cold, amen? You don't have to shovel that, so that's good. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter number 1. And we'll begin, we'll begin reading <clears throat> in verse number 15. Colossians chapter 1. And verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, talking about Jesus, should all fullness dwell. Notice verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath now, or, or yet now hath he reconciled. I want you to notice two times, once in verse number 20, and again in verse number 21, he uses the word reconciled to bring two opposing parties together. The message this morning is simply this, the miracle of reconciliation. The miracle of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments as we speak of things eternal. I pray that you'd help us again to not be distracted. I pray that the cell phones would be silenced. I pray that uh, the young people would be attentive. I pray that all of us would not be distracted from what you have for us. Father, most of all, I ask you very, very simply that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, be exalted in this message, in this service and in the invitation at the end, we ask it in His name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. What exactly does Christmas mean to you? That's a question you hear a little bit this time of year. What does Christmas mean to you? Now, if you ask that question to a variety of people, you'll, you may get a, ver a variety of answers, to be honest with you. To a child... If you ask a child, what does Christmas mean to you? You may get the answer about his or her uh, wish list, his or her hopes of receiving certain presents on Christmas morning. I don't know what all the hot items are this Christmas season, but I'm sure they're, they're all, there's always some of them. And uh, it used to be real simple stuff, you know, like trains and planes and and uh, now it's stuff that you have to take out a mortgage to try to get. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's... Uh, you ask a child, what does Christmas mean to you? And they're going to give you their wish list, more than likely. 
and, uh, and that's okay, I guess. And you may talk to someone, ask them the same question, and you may hear about hopes of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And no doubt that's a big part of it. Many folks will talk about getting together with family and friends that they've not seen in a while. And that's one of my favorite things about the holiday season and the fact that you are reunited with, uh, with people uh, in your family, friends, and so forth. And that's a, a blessing to be sure. All of those things are fine and good. We understand that there can be no Christmas, however, without Christ. You take Christ out of Christmas, you don't have a Christmas. And I know people have tried to do that, and people have taken Christ out of the word Christmas and replaced it with simply just an X. But there's not much to Christmas if you don't have Jesus. Because Jesus represents the ultimate gift. The Bible says, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, the gift of Jesus. The message this morning is not a Christmas message per se, but... The more I think of this message, the more I see the real meaning of what Christmas really is all about. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to reconcile God and man. He came to bring those two parties together. Twice in, ver in the verses we read a few moments ago, we read the word or a form of the word reconcile. The word reconcile means to, <clears throat> to make as one again. It means to restore unity in two parties that are apart from each other. The word reconcile means to bring together men or parties that have been in disagreement. That's a wonderful description of what happened 2,000 years ago. Really, if you could sum up the whole Christmas story, you could use the word reconciliation or reconcile, and that would be a pretty good definition of what Christmas is all about. It was the uh, the, the, the songwriter... Actually, it was Charles Wesley who was, uh, he, uh, he, he penned the words to the Christmas carol <coughs> that was later put to music, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and it, it talks about there, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. God and man were at polar opposites of each other. God, holy and righteous. God, perfect and just. God, who was, who is the epitome of everything that's pure and righteous and holy. And then you're, and then there's man. There's you and me. Sinners. You see, God, if God is perfect holiness and righteousness, if God is perfect justice, if God is everything that's right, and you can't even, uh, you can't begin to describe God as, and His righteousness because we can't even comprehend that kind, that level of holiness. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's me and you. Sinners, vile. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, talking about mankind, no, not one. The Bible talks about our righteousnesses. The very best that we have to offer to God is as filthy rags, and we described that in a recent message. I'll not go uh, there again. <clears throat> but there's God who's perfectly holy, and you and I, who are just the opposite of that, we are depraved sinners. That's all we are. And so Christmas is all about the act of Jesus Christ reconciling holy God and sinful man and bringing them back together. That really is the essence, the gist of the Christmas story. 
Adam and Eve would fellowship every day with God in the Garden of Eden. And at one time, there was a close relationship between God and the human race, Adam and Eve, that he had created. They enjoyed each other's company, and life was wonderful. Every day, God went down to the Garden of Eden, and in the cool of the day, the Bible says that that uh, they would enjoy one another's fellowship there, and they would speak to each other, and, and it would be as friends talking uh, to each other. That's the kind of relationship that God enjoyed with man at the very beginning. But wait a minute, something happened. Sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve's disobedience severed the ties between God and themselves. Sin brought ruin. Sin brought death to the human race. Sin brought shame. Sin and disobedience brought humiliation to man. Sin brought separation from God. You know the story of how that they, in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, once sin entered into that garden, <coughs> and uh, and uh, of course uh, the sentence was passed that Adam and Eve would uh, were were expelled from the Garden of of, uh, of Eden, and uh, and and there was the death sentence there, and all that went with it. <coughs> and you understand there was a separation between man and God, and that separation. We see it even today. Man and God, who at one time were the closest of friends, are now enemies. Because sin brought pain, sin brought suffering, sin brought shame. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, right there near the beginning of your Bible, we see that God was prepared to bring man back to himself as soon as man fell. Oh, and by the way, it was even before that. Because the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even before man sinned, God was making preparations for Christmas. Think about that. You think you, pre you prepare for Christmas early? <laughs> How many of you started in, in, uh, in the summertime? A few of you did. Sick individuals. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but you talk about getting a jump start on Christmas preparation before man ever fell, before there was a separation between God and man, before there was a shame and suffering that sin brought on, before all of that, the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and immediately upon man's sin, God set plans into motion. He said to Eve, he said, the serpent is going to bruise the seed or the heel of your seed, but your seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent because there's going to come a Messiah. There's going to be, there's going to come somebody to reconcile God and man. The message this morning is about the miracle of reconciliation because it is a miracle. The miracle of God and man being reconciled to each other. Peace on earth and mercy mild, the songwriter said. God and sinners reconciled. It's nothing short of a miracle. No two parties could have been further apart than God and sinners. Think about it. You think about the arbitration that goes on in courtrooms all across America every day of the world where there's opposing sides who are brought to a bargaining table, brought to a negotiating table, and there uh, maybe an, arbit uh, an arbitrator uh, is, uh, is there, someone who's there to try to bring opposing sides together. Let me tell you something. There never has been two sides who are more polar opposite in, in the negotiating process than God and man. And yet Christmas is all about the reconciling of a holy God with sinful mankind. 
You see, our nature and God's nature are polar opposites. God is holy. My nature is sinful. God is righteous. My nature is depraved. God is light, the Bible says, and in Him is no darkness at all. And yet the Bible says that my sinful nature is dark. It's wicked. It's vile. It's putrid. It's disgusting. So for you and I to be reconciled, brought back into fellowship with God, that's nothing short of a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle. I want you to see a couple of things this morning as time allows. I want you to see, first of all, the mediator of reconciliation. The mediator of reconciliation. You see, for God and sinners to be brought back together, there had to be a go-between. There had to be somebody who bridged that gap between God on the one side and man on the other side and bring them two together. A mediator. Someone who would who would uh, negotiate on the side of both parties, if you will. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, without Jesus, there is no reconciliation. That's why Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's man over here, and he's trying to bridge that gap. He's trying to, he's trying to jump that chasm of separation between himself and God. And you can't do that, my friend, without a mediator there to bring you to terms with a holy God. Because God's justice demands penalty. God's justice demands that sin be paid for. And you can't bridge that gap without a mediator. I got good news for you this morning. We have a mediator. There's one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no Christmas, because without Jesus, there's no reconciliation. He made it possible for two sides to come together, and he's the only one who could do it. The priest can't do it. The preacher can't do it. The pope can't do it. The president can't do it. Hey, no one can do it except for somebody who is sinless himself. You see, reconciliation between God and man could only happen if there was a sinless man who would stand before God on behalf of the human race. He had to be sinless. That's why, that's why I can't get saved for you, my friend. I can't come to God on your behalf. Hey, the, uh, no one can. No man can. I don't care who he is. I don't care what his title is. No man can go to a holy God on behalf of a sinner who is himself a sinner. This mediator, whoever he was to be, had to be sinless, had to be perfect, had to be uh, uh, perfectly righteous, no sins of his own. You can search the world over. But there's no man who fits that bill because we all inherit our sin nature from our human father and his father before him all the way back to Adam. The mediator had to be no, he had to be sinless, he had to be perfect, he had to be, uh, uh, had no sins of his own. Enter the Christmas story. 2,000 years ago, a little manger, a little cattle stall, a little barn outside of an inn in the little town of Bethlehem comes Mary and Joseph. And uh, they'd gone there because of the taxation of the day. <clears throat> and there was no room for them found in the inn by the innkeeper. And so he said, look, I don't know what to tell you, but there's a little barn out there. You're welcome to spend the night out there. I hate to put you out there. I see, ma'am, that you're expecting, but, uh, but that's all I have. It's the best I can do. And there, in that, in the, in the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, rude surroundings and crude environment of a cattle stall comes the mediator, Jesus Christ. In that manger, 
in Bethlehem lay not just a baby, but the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. No sins of his own because he was born of a virgin. His father was not Joseph. His father was God himself. He, was, he had no human father because to have a human father, he would have human nature. And to be, have a human nature would be a sin nature. And he had no sins of his own. That which was conceived in Mary was not of Joseph. It was of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And Jesus, the virgin-born Son of God, came into this world to unite God and man. Hear me carefully. As the Son of God, He was sinless. And as the Son of God, I'm sorry, as the Son of Man, He was a suitable substitute for our sins. Well, listen very carefully. So there's the mediator of reconciliation. I want you to see this. Equally important is the method of reconciliation. The method of reconciliation. You see, now we understand that Jesus was the mediator to bring man and God together, but how was this going to happen? Look back at our text with me, if you will. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 19. The Bible says, For it pleased the Father that in, that in Him should all fullness dwell. Notice verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven you see this job of reconciliation was especially difficult because the mediator had to die the mediator had to die that makes this situation very unique you see the mediator could not bring these two parties together who were at polar opposites of each other, holy God and sinful man, this mediator could not just bring them two to a negotiating table and walk away. No, it wasn't that simple. The mediator had to die because for God's end of the bargain to be satisfied, sin demands payment, and the only payment for sin, according to the Scriptures, is death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And so this mediator could not just turn and walk away from two sides and say, hey, y'all get together now. He couldn't do that. No, no. He had to die to satisfy the justice of a holy God. The job of reconciliation was difficult. It wasn't just a matter of bringing two sides to, to the table and say, y'all work this out. No, the mediator was the sacrifice that was necessary to pay for my sins and your sins. Look, look at the verse again, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Notice what it says, and having made peace through the blood, notice the next three words, of his cross. Like it or not, my friend, you cannot separate the Christmas story from the Easter story. You can't do it. It's one thing to look at the, the, the pastoral scenes of a baby in a manger and to think about all the nuances of the Christmas story, all the different subplots and so forth, the angels singing after uh, giving word to uh, shepherds on a hillside, giving them, them being the first recipients of the fact that there was a Christ child born in Bethlehem's manger, and we think about all the different scenes of the Christmas story, and that's wonderful, but may I say, if you don't add to that the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life and then died on a cross, down on a cross. You see, Jesus was born to die. As our mediator, He was born to bring us to God. And you can't do that outside of your sins being paid for. You see, that baby in a manger was the Savior of the world. And the Savior of the world had to die. 
The Savior of the world was the ultimate sacrifice. The, sa the, the Savior of the world was that one <clears throat> who was foretold of by the prophets of the Old Testament. He was the one that came to be the Messiah. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse number 11, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him. They, they put Him on a cross. But that was God's plan. That was God's plan. Why? It had to happen for you to be reconciled to God. The miracle of reconciliation. The mediator of reconciliation. The method of reconciliation. But I want you to see one more thing this morning, and that is this. The means of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. Look at the verse again, Colossians chapter 1. Notice the phrase that we just read in verse number 20. And having made peace, don't miss these next words, through the, what's the next word? Blood. Through the blood of His cross. So the miracle of reconciliation is all about the mediator, the one who would go between and bring two opposing sides together. The method, there, there had to be a death of the mediator, but the means was simply this. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be blood. There's a lot of religions in the world today who balk at the idea of a bloody religion, but let me say this, without the shedding of blood, I didn't say it, God said it, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no remission of sins. The mediator, Jesus, had to die a sacrificial death, but that sacrifice had to be a blood sacrifice. Colossians chapter 1, same chapter we're, we're reading now, in verse number 14, the Bible says this, "...in whom we have redemption..." Don't miss the next three words. "...through His blood." Through His blood. There is no redemption, my friend, outside of the blood of Jesus. There is no, there, there is no salvation. There is no, uh, you say, well, <clears throat> why didn't Jesus, why didn't they just smother him to death? Because it had to be a blood sacrifice. Why, why couldn't there have been death by, uh, just, uh, just physical hanging? No, no, it had to be a blood sacrifice. A blood sacrifice because we have redemption through his blood. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God looked forward to getting man back. There had to be a mediator, a go-between. That mediator had to be a sinless and perfect mediator. That mediator had to pay the penalty for the sins of man. He had to die. But notice the sacrifice for man's sins had to be a blood sacrifice. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll find this was demonstrated down through the centuries as people would get a little lamb based on their income, based on their means to provide a lamb. In some cases, some folks were too poor to have a lamb. And they'd use another animal like a a turtle dove or some other smaller animal, but in every case there had to be a blood sacrifice. And when that blood was spilled out on that altar, it was, it was symbolic of the fact that one day a mediator would come, look, we don't give sacrifices anymore. Because there's no need to. It's not that we're above that, it's because Jesus was the ultimate blood sacrifice. Jesus was the fulfillment of every Old Testament sacrifice that was made. Every lamb, every goat, every ram, every turtle dove, every time a priest would, would slit the throat of an animal and that blood was spilled upon an altar, it was symbolic. It pointed forward down through the, uh, through, through the uh, ages of time to when Jesus would come and he would die on Calvary and shed his blood and the veil of the temple would be rent from top to bottom symbolizing, hey, we don't need any more sacrifices. We don't need any more priests to go to 
to God on our behalf because Jesus, our high priest, shed his blood as our mediator. Why did he do that, preacher? To bring God and man together. Reconciliation. The miracle of reconciliation. You see, my friend, it's not the water in the baptistry that saves you. It's the blood of the mediator. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not the keeping of the sacraments that saves. It's the blood of the mediator that saves. It's not the keeping of a set of rules that saves us. It's the blood of the mediator that saves us. It's not the adoration of the baby in the manger that saves us. It's the understanding that the baby Jesus in the manger was God in the flesh. And he grew into a mature adult as the sinless, perfect son of God. Never one time said a filthy word. Never one time entertained a dirty thought. Never sinned so he could be our mediator. But the mediator had to die. And the mediator had to shed his blood so that you and I could be saved. You see, <clears throat> that blood was applied to a specific piece of furniture in the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament tabernacle, called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And when that blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat, one time a year, the Day of Atonement, the God of heaven looked down and he saw the blood of that that, that, that spotless lamb that was slain and whose blood was shed. And once that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, God said, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. My justice, my anger, my wrath at the sin of my people is temporarily satisfied until next year. It had to be done again. Wait a minute. When Jesus died on the cross and he is our high priest, took his own blood to the mercy seat in heaven, and he applied it to that mercy seat there. And God said, my wrath is satisfied. My justice is satisfied. My anger is satisfied. And it's satisfied not just for a year, not just for a month, not just for a day, not just for one group of people, the Jews, not just for a select group. But no, sir, he said, my satisfied, my justice is satisfied forever, for eternity, for everybody who will say, Jesus, I want in on that. For whosoever will. Whosoever will, let him come. As a 33-year-old man, Jesus was nailed to a cross. Perfection was sacrificed for sinners. If you're saved this morning, it's because of the blood. It's because of the blood. Not because you're somebody, it's because he's somebody. If you're going to heaven this morning, it's not because of your good works, it's because of his good works. It's because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and his death, His burial, His resurrection, the blood sacrifice, and that blood atonement that He made on my behalf on that day. May I say to you this morning, if you have any hope of being saved, it'll be because of the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Reconciled. Forever reconciled. You know what it means? The Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. What do you call that? Reconciliation. How is that possible? A mediator. who reached over and embraced the righteousness and justice of his heavenly Father. And he saw over here a group of people who could not save themselves. 
He saw a group of folks over here, a whole race, a whole human race of people, <clears throat> red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. And he saw that group of people and he said, you know what? They can't save themselves. They're sinners. They're condemned under the curse of their own sins. But this mediator took a holy God and took a unrighteous... By the way, by the way, God's not coming to man. Man's got to come to God. God's not going to compromise His holiness one bit for us. Not one. Not one. It wasn't that God came over here and decided that He was going to let everything slide. No, 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 no. Sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be paid for. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus bore in Himself the wrath of God. The wrath of God abideth on the mediator. But that's what it took for Jesus to bring wicked man to a holy God. Well, we ought to thank God for it this morning. If you're not saved, boy, you ought to run and get saved. Say, oh, preacher, I was baptized as a kid. Baptism won't save you, sir. Baptism will get you wet. <laughs> hey, truth is, you can get baptized so many times at the tadpoles in the creek. No, you're so scared never. But that won't get you one inch closer to heaven. Baptism, you say, well, why do we have a baptism? Baptism is, an, is, a, is symbolic to everybody that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's that first step of obedience. Baptism doesn't save you, friend. Jesus saves you. And when you get baptized, you're simply saying to everybody else, I'm not ashamed of Jesus and what he did for me. That's it. That's it. Now hear me. The songwriter said, When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Hey, those of us who are saved, what do we have to be proud about? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not when you get to heaven, <clears throat> when I get to heaven, we're not going to walk around bragging about how good we were. We'll spend eternity praising God for who He is and for that act of reconciliation by our mediator. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrificed them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of glory mine, that were present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Well, we need to keep Christmas in perspective, don't we? It's all about reconciliation. The miracle of Jesus bringing sinful man back to a holy God. It's all about Him, none about us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you're not sure about heaven,